There is a place like no place on earth. Some say to survive it, you need to be as mad as a hatter. Which luckily, I am. Alice, it's you. You're back. Alice. Alice. See, Alice. You're absolutely Alice. I'd know you anywhere. You're all late for tea. Hello and welcome to my podcast called Fans About Films. This is my very first English language episode. It's the sixth episode. And um, of course, I have an English speaking guest. And this is my guest. He's going to introduce himself now. Hello there, everyone. I am Jackson. Uh, I am a student of history and film in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Uh, me and last me and Lassie have been friends and uh, fellow film connoisseurs for uh, several years now, and I'm very happy to be here be here on the show. <laughs> I always like how um, people who don't uh, who are not German have trouble pronouncing my name. <laughs> I know. I you want, I was going to ask you before the show is 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 it Lassie Lasse? <laughs> I mean, you've you've told me a couple years ago how to pronounce it. Yeah, but yeah. Just t typical uh, ignorant uh, English speaker, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it, it's quite difficult. Yeah, um, uh, Lasse. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, Lasse. It's pronounced Lasse. Actually, I, I just forgot to introduce uh, myself with name on the show here. That's a that's a great start. Now, my name is Lasse Vogt, and I'm the creator of this podcast. So that that's out of the way now. <laughs> and for all the English language listeners out there, if my English is not perfect or you have a big big problem with my accent, I'm very very sorry. <laughs> Don't worry, because to every to all the other English speakers, I have a very bad speech impediment, so you'll probably be able to understand Lasse's English better than my English, to be honest. Hey, you pronounced my name correctly. Hey, okay, well, I'm doing good on the uh, German pronunciations, just have to work on the English stuff now. Yeah, you can it, almost call it a wonder. Oh, <laughs> oh, but don't you mean... Under. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, about our topic today, I actually um, uh, was uh, talking to Jackson about this a few days back, and we were um, juggling with a couple of movies we could discuss on this podcast, and I uh, made a few suggestions, and he picked uh, Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, and I... Yeah, I, I I actually thought you, why not why not an episode about that movie, uh, because I guess we have plenty to talk about. Even though I don't quite know how you feel about the movie, but I'm gonna find out. Uh, let's just say I actually rewatched the movie yesterday in preparation for this episode because it's been a few years since I've seen it uh, the last time, and uh, and I live I pretty much live tweeted. Uh, my viewing and I also sent Jackson some messages with photos from the movie with reactions of mine I guess it was quite entertaining to him it wasn't so entertaining for me <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah I, I don't 
I don't know if it was really necessary to rewatch the movie because my opinion hasn't changed much and I actually was shocked how little I remembered uh, when it comes to details but the overall story is so simple and so bland that it's actually hard to forget and then that's very very weird but let's hear what's your opinion on the movie and why did you want to talk about it well i i should give a little uh preface to like my current feelings about the movie so i'm uh, a fan of both the original lewis carroll book and the uh, original anime Disney film. I think the original anime Disney film of Alice in Wonderland is probably one of my favorite uh, Disney movies from my childhood that I still like uh, presently. Uh, the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland movie, when I first saw it, I saw it with a group of friends, and we all liked it You know, when we saw it in theaters for the first time. I remember quoting the movie with that group of friends. It would, you know... It was, it was something that we all enjoyed, but over the years, as I began to hear, you know, just in generally broad my perspective of film criticism and saw that in the broader film criticism world, this movie had less, you know, less, a less stellar, you know, reception, I, you know, this, I was still thinking, oh, but, you know, who doesn't like Alice in Wonderland 2010? It's, you know, right up there with a bunch of other classics, such as, you know... <laughs> Uh, the 2001 Grinch movie, or oh god, now I'm trying to think of other movies that I used to like uh, as as a child that I now think is or shit. Though I still have a soft spot for the Grinch movie, but after after rewatching it a couple years ago, I did not really care for this movie at all. Like at at all, I thought it was uh, obnoxious when I rewatched it. I thought it was. A bit, uh, I wouldn't say pretentious, but definitely, definitely going, definitely trying to be more, but also less than what the book was trying to be in certain areas. Uh, and my current view is that it's just a very bland and, as you were saying, forgettable, but still very easy to remember movie in some regards. Like I don't really have any strong feelings about it. Uh, I know I'm not as huge as a Tim Burton fan as Tim Burton fan as you are, but I do agree it's definitely one of his uh, lesser overall films. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, there's really not much. I mean, we are going to be talking about this movie for an hour, but in the grand scheme of things, there's really not much to say about this movie unless you really, you know, start picking through the the various details that make it not really work. So that's. That's my view in a nutshell. I assume we'll be dissecting this uh, bland, lifeless, not totally devoid of good ideas, but just uninteresting t two or so hours of nothing. <laughs> you know what? You just saved us a lot of time because that pretty much is the exact same story I wanted to tell. <laughs> Oh, good. Um, uh, without, uh, I, I never read the original book. I watched the Disney cartoon when I was little, and uh, my parents realized that after me and my brothers watched it, we were kind of, let's say, we weren't quite the same. <laughs> they, they said we, we misbehaved and were 
kooky and out of our minds, and so they uh, locked the movie away, pretty much. And so I didn't w watch the cartoon until, like, I think I rewatched it for the first time in years, like, maybe at the end of last year, I guess. Uh, because I, ju I just bought it on DVD. And, uh, and I really like it now. Uh, I think it's a very entertaining movie. And um, I, I know enough of the original story. And when I went to the cinema, uh, I, I went to the cinema because it was Tim Burton and Johnny Depp and all that stuff. And yeah, w uh, when I watched it in the cinema, I really liked it. Because, yeah, it's Tim Burton, you know, it's Burton, yeah. And then I rewatched it sometimes later and I was like, no, this is not good. This is really not good. And now we're watching it um, yesterday. I was like, yeah, this is definitely, in my opinion, it's Tim Burton's worst movie. But it's not an awful movie. It's, you know, it's, it's not like I don't have really a big hatred for it. It's just like sort of there on screen flopping around blandly it's 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 really it's really weird and and uh, as i live tweeted uh one and a half minutes in and already i got frustrated with with a dialogue and this and this weird kind of uh plot that bookends the movie with her father trying to what was it like like, like he was trying to uh uh go another trading route with with the ships to China or something? I, I believe it was uh, trying to get trading routes to China in order to trade opium. <laughs> yeah, they don't say it. In, I think, I'm not too sure if that's implied in <laughs> an interview, but I think that's what they were doing. You, you know, know what? Because they, they opium, it's a drug, and Alice in Wonderland, oh, it's like you're being on drugs, so... <laughs> I guess there's a connection, not really. <laughs> they never say that it's about any drugs, but you know what? This makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's it's a it's a bunch of uh, businessmen talk, you know, talking very blandly and very straightforwardly of, of how to make a very drug uh, drug induced experience. I think that's a good analog to the Disney studio executives <laughs> talking about. Uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland. He's <laughs> like, uh, how how should we, you know, take this, you know, material that's supposed to that's supposed to make you feel wacky and you know, uh, you know, unrational and all that? Oh, oh, business, 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 business. We have to be irrational about it, but still a little quirky in order to work in the proper demographics, you know. <laughs> that, that that's I mean I. I totally know exactly how the, stu the studio executives, because, you know, I'm a amateur film critic, and I know everything there is about the film business. So, yeah, <laughs> that's how it went down. Exactly Ex like that. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it it's funny that this movie starts off with men in suits, and the movie was pretty much created by men in suits. <laughs> mm -hmm. In a way. Um, yeah, and actually noticed something I never noticed before. Um, in the opening uh, credits, because it's just, you know, what Disney presents and then uh, the title card, it's not an opening credit sequence, but you see the full moon there in the sky and a bunch of clouds form the face of a Cheshire cat on the moon. That was pretty nice. That was a pretty neat effect. And and then, you know, it, it's, it's this discussion with young Alice and they establish their fa her father as, a, as this kind of, like, kooky dude you know uh, with his plans with with a uh, with a ship trading and everything and what a waste of martin 
uh, Xokas because I really like that guy. I, I think he's a really terrific actor and he's always wasted in these mini parts. It's 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 so it, that's really unfortunate because I really really like him. Um, I, I I wish he get he would get more uh, more and uh, uh, more work, you know, in, in bigger roles. And um, and already uh, I was kind of laughing because when we have this the scene in the in the carriage with uh, with Alice and her mother and and you know they establish Alice as yeah she you know she's also kind of kooky but she's actually so incredibly bland and always when she says and uh, that that's for the whole movie every time she says something that's kind of you know out there and and supposed to be uh, kooky and weird it comes across as so forced and ill-fitting and it doesn't match her person her non-existent personality at all <laughs> And yeah, I don't, I don't blame the actress. I, I really don't blame her. It's, it's just the the script gives her nothing to do, and she's just there running around on a green screen, and and it, it's you know, and and she's, I think she was a newcomer with this movie, so she didn't have quite the experience to match up for the lack of character the script gave her, um, and and when they write to this to this big mansion house, I don't know what it was, you know, to, to this to this party. Um it 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 so obviously is a CGI backdrop when I was like, oh we're starting early with this now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um and and on this part there's there's something I I I find kind of interesting on on this party where you have certain characters that mirror the characters she later meets in Underland. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, you you have those female twins who who kind of finish each other's sentences, and and it's obvious who those are supposed to be. And you have this foppish British uh, snot-nosed douchebag who who kind of who kind of is like the the mirrored Hatter, you know, because he he has he he has certain mannerisms and his. Um, uh, and his cravat uh, it kind of reminds me of that. So that that I found kind of interesting, at least. Uh, that, uh, but but you know the, the first twelve minutes are just very very bland. And then tw- like twelve minutes in, she falls into the hole, and it's actually, I it was off to a good start because because I thought the the fall through the hole with the piano playing and, and the music and everything. I I was I was like this is actually. A pretty good mood here that they set up, and and then nothing like that ever happens again. That's pretty much one of the only things they take from the novel, and, and the rest is just like this this kind of own story, you know, this made-up prequel. No, not prequel. It's actually yeah, it's actually a, a sequel. It's you know what, Alice in Wonderland is, uh, this Alice in Wonderland version is Hook. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a good analogy. Even though Hook is a much better movie than it this, is. but it totally is. Yeah, uh, Hook had much uh, had much more to go off of, and 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 it fits because my second episode in this podcast was about Hook. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but I actually just realized this right now. It's it's it, it has a lot of uh, it has a lot in common with with the concept of Hook, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, 
It, there's also, also a weird detail I just noticed because her mother gives her this necklace, and then uh, Alice shrinks down and and her and her dress uh, stays big, so she uses this kind of mini dress that was under it. Uh, I don't I don't know how that worked, but um, the necklace just disappears. It never gets brought up again. So I was like, okay, so I guess she lost the necklace in, in that thing. I, I don't know if she has it when she comes back. I, I don't quite know. Maybe I'll post a picture later on this podcast and I will be... Oh, there it is. But whatever, I, I don't know. Maybe it was cut. Um, and then she meets the, the characters. And I really like... Characters. Yes, characters. I actually, marks. I actually, like, I actually think some of them are, are a pretty good choice. You know, uh, I, I mean, Michael Sheen is always a great choice for any movie, and he, he is good as for uh, as for White Rabbit, and I really like Matt Lucas as Tweedledum and Tweedledee. I thought that fit. You know, I I, I thought he got a couple of good lines there, and then you have some people who are very wasted. You have the Dodo Bird is voiced by the late Michael Gough, and he yeah, just has, it, like, three lines or something. Yeah. I think it was, like, his last uh, major film role. Which yeah, is I think a, so. A bit of a shame. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, and he's not the only one who was wasted here, but we get to that later. And and we... I don't know. What, what do you think? Uh, are there some things... Because I don't want to go through the whole movie now. Um... I, do you have some certain things to remember and you want to mention? Uh, and, and they can both be good and bad. Uh, things I remember. I mean, I recall most of the first act or so, give or take. Uh, yeah, the scene at the house, I... I don't know, it's just a very strange framing device because... And I think this is a problem that the movie faces throughout, like, the entirety of it, of, of trying to be both, uh, trying to be both, you know, close to the original source material or trying to capture the, the essence of the original source material while also doing this completely different plot. Because, you know, having the character, having the... Uh, I guess real world characters are supposed to be analogs for the underling characters. I'm not even I'm not even gonna call it Wonderland. That's that's not Wonderland to me. That's that's Underland. If, if the movie wants to call it, itself that, I'll call it that. Uh, again, just trying to make these uh, analogs. Like if it if Underland was just supposed to be an Alice's head, it would make sense. It it's not necessarily a concept that's necessarily very cleverly. Incorporated, like there are lots of other uh, fast your kids movies where the or the you know like the Wizard of Oz where the fantasy world is a reflection of the real world and that and that and the original Wizard of Oz movie works well, but this one just has very weak development because it's just oh here's a character that in the real world that's kind of like the character in the uh, fantasy world quote unquote. It just—it's a concept that could work. It just is pointless in in this instance. <laughs> uh, I, I did find her going down the rabbit hole to be, you know, pretty pretty workable. Like it's 
like that in the whole scene in the room where she uh, grows and, and shrinks a bit. You know, that's just a pretty standard adaptation, just very straightforward. It it works. Yeah. Uh, it, and once he meets the characters, like, I, I do agree, like, many of the character actors, they got to play the side characters, I thought were, I thought they had very, did a uh, considerably good job. It's just, I don't know, like, once you start getting these characters to work in a, you know, group setting, <laughs> you don't really see their personalities really pl- playing off each other as strongly as would, as you would hope to because these aren't really characters designed, you know, in the original book, these really weren't characters designed to meet up and discuss, you know, prophecies and high politics or whatnot. Yeah. That's the biggest problem. Yeah. Oh no. I think the prophecy bit deserves a little, the prophecy storyline deserves its own little discussion here, but I don't know. I think the first, the first act of, of this movie is, bland but all right like i don't really have again i don't really have too many strong feelings about it it i don't know it just i don't really feel that the the first act really gives any service to introducing the world too much it introduces the uh quote-unquote story and the characters but it doesn't really give you a sense of Wonderland as anything but a generic, t- you know, Tim Burton-esque, uh, you know, dreamscape world because there's swirls and, you know, color palettes change here and there. But yeah, it's mostly and the just... tree from Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's basically that, though while the, atmos- though while the saying of Sleepy Hollow, t- you know, you know, seeped atmosphere, this one doesn't lack atmosphere but it doesn't really do anything with it it's just kind of you know there yeah yeah it is it's actually quite lifeless um but yeah what what i say it's true there actually is the tree from sleepy hollow uh, when she first steps out of the door into wonderland right right (laughs) sorry i i haven't seen sleepy hollow in i think since i was like basically a kid and that's a great movie to watch when you're when you're a kid so there there's a few details i'm forgetting there but i i don't think I, yeah yeah okay, that's an interesting that's an interesting detail yeah that was actually quite nice uh, i i totally forgot about that and uh it, something else i i remember is um she alice is actually so so bland in this movie that all the other characters uh, in the real world come across as much more fleshed out and colorful in a weird way, but they still treat her like she is the kooky outcast. You know, when she um, when, when she runs off uh, after the, the proposal and she's like, oh, I have to think about this, and she runs away and uh, the, the, the whole big group of people is, is staring... Uh, uh, is 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 looking uh, after her? Um, it, it it's it's uh, it's almost like um, she they they're gonna burst out of a song like look where she goes that girl is so peculiar, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it fits because it's the same screenwriter as the original Beauty and the Beast. Um, so uh, so in in that way it's but when it comes to songs there's a whole other story about this movie. Um, what and also I was really shocked. Because in the uh, here in Germany, 
the rating of a movie is 12, which is pretty much the equivalent of PG-13. I was shocked that this was a PG movie. You, ha you have like th this big beast getting its eye stabbed out of its uh, out of its skull. You have this. You you have her walk on severed heads in a pool of black and, and later red blood. You have this gruesome decapitation. And it, it, it was like, Jesus Christ, you know, this should actually get a PG-13. It, it actually, at it, some end, when it comes to certain makeup and costume choices, it should get an R. Yes, I agree. <laughs> because after she escapes this big beast, after the prophecy scene, show her the oraculum. <laughs> Oh man, and actually, you know, it, I actually think he, uh, uh, Alan Rickman was very, very good in the role, and I, he's really missed. You know, when you see, when you hear his voice in a movie like this, you know, it's like, oh god damn it, you know, he was gone too soon. It, it's really sad. The, the second Alice in Wonderland was actually his last role, and he has like, I don't know, four lines in that movie. Um, but in this one, he he plays a major part, and and I, I think he did it very well. And after she escapes this thing with a prophecy, and and also, yeah, I want to talk about that goddamn mouse because I really hate that character. <laughs> There's this mouse. It she's called Maliankin or something. I don't know. And and she she has this needle sword and and she stabs uh, the beast's eye out. Uh, the the, the snitch! and. Um, She's all. She's such a dick. She, she she's really she's such a bitch. You know she's she's always just waving her sword around, no matter if it makes sense or not. And and she's always mean to every to 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 Alice. You know and and I and I get that she's in doubt that she's a real Alice because that's the whole dialogue. Because it's not the real Alice. And yeah. Uh, and and she's just she's she's just always so mean. And the weird thing I also noticed: only some characters introduce themselves with their names to Alice. But later she calls them by their names, and we never see a scene where she learns their names. You know, she she only learns like the the names of Absalom and Tweedledum and Tweedledee. And later she calls the White Rabbit. McTwisp and and she calls the mouse Maliankin and they never introduce themselves to to her. So I was like, how does she know their names? Here's something missing, I guess. Uh, yeah, that's, that, that, that's something that really bothered me. And and when you have um, when when the cat first shows up, it actually there's actually some some magic in that because they they really get with the animation and Stephen Fry's voice. They really do get certain aspects of a character right, you know, when it comes to the origins, except when, except when it comes to the logical plot, which doesn't make sense. We we get to that later. He actually, I, never, I sorry, go ahead. I actually really really liked his introduction scene, and it it was it was moody. The animation was good. The voice was good, and the way the camera pans up. And you see the 
the moon and, and the moon forms into the cat with, with the eyes and the moon is now the, the grin. I really, really like that. Uh, yeah, well, what, what did you have to say about that? Oh, I just want to comment on his line of how he never gets involved in politics. <laughs> yeah, I never get involved in politics, even though he... he uh, that's so... That's so stupid, because... Why... But you see... Go ahead. Why do they... That, that's so weird, you know, because this kind of, this story, Alice in Wonderland, is gift-wrapped for Tim Burton. Because uh, many critics criticize him and his movies about the fact that he often doesn't really have a story, you know? He kind of has non-stories, or the stories are told through the characters. You know, could you tell me what the story of Batman Returns is? Probably not, because the characters are the story in that movie. Um, but... But in this one, now he has this movie, which is just, you know, this weird kind of road trip where she meets weird characters and they share a scene and then she moves on. And that's just perfect fit. And then they, those morons from the studio and the author, they give it a story and now he has to take the blame for it, you know? Because he's, it's not his fault, you know? He was just... I get, the, I, I get the feeling that he was, like, in some respects, like a goon for hire, you know? Because, like, oh, here you can, all, you can have all your trademark actors and everything, but, uh, you know, it's, this, this is the script, and you stick to, you stick to the script, you puppet. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's the feeling I get, because it's, it's just... It feeds the autopilot often, and it's just you know the, the fact that this has the story of of rising up, you know, and and uh, and and a tyrant who overthrows the land, and it's just you have a cake that can make you grow. Use it to squash the queen or something, and it, it's so stupid. It, later, she she grows like a few foot taller, and and then she she doesn't do anything with it. And, and it, ah, it's so, you know, that's a problem when you try to bring logic in something that shouldn't have logic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but, but that's my two cents on that. And when she gets to the tea party and that opens a whole lot of other problems, why don't you go ahead? Oh, the tea party scene. Well, the tea party scene is when we introduce probably my... When I first saw the movie, my favorite character, and when I saw the movie again, my least favorite character, <laughs> the Mad Hatter. Uh -huh. Yeah, I think... Alice... I don't think Johnny Depp was a bad choice for the Mad Hatter. It's just the way he plays it is just not at all engaging or interesting. It, it reminds me kind of not so much the actual performance uh, Depp did for other Tim Burton movie, uh, Charlie and Chocolate Factory, but that's kind of the overall approach. The doing a weird, quirky person with very, with a very pale white face, uh, you know, not not in a way that you expect him to do it, but not necessarily in a very interesting way either. Like if you compare this this movie's Mad Hatter to the Mad Hatter in the animated film, like that character is very just straightforward, you know. Not in off the wall, but he's still enjoyable to watch. You yeah, know, he's totally. Still, 
he still has a defined character that you immediately latch on to and you're fine in you know going with going with him through at least a good you know 10 10 minute portion of of that film yeah i i understand that like depp was trying to maybe do like a you know person with like various personalities going on but i don't really think that that works or it's just it's not emphasized enough like he's trying to be somewhat subtle about it in a role that really shouldn't be subtle yeah like i think that's the biggest problem like he's trying to bring a a certain nuance to the quirkiness of it but it doesn't really work in this particular context because it's not a story about like if it was more so focused on on that personality or like on his different personalities and whatnot you know like um in a more nuanced script or a more nuanced movie it might work but this is but he's supposed to be a side character in this i guess fantasy war adventure coming of age uh teen something or another movie and it just doesn't work nor does his uh uh I guess you would say his freaking uh, wheel wheel of fortune of a selection of accents that he throws <laughs> on off. Yeah, like every every other sentence he changes his accent. You know, at one point he's British, when he's American, when he's Scottish, and when he's nonsense. You know, I'd, yeah. I'd, I would recognize her anywhere. I would know her anywhere. And it, 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 sometimes he lisps and sometimes he doesn't. You know, it's it, it's really and and when he has this this dark Scottish monologue when he takes her to the burned village, uh, the Bandersnatch. It, it, um, uh, no, yeah. the, 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 the Oh, how could I mistake it? Um, <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, and, and just, if he went, go ahead. No, no, you, you, it's your turn. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, I think if he went like really over the top with these different personalities, it might uh, work better. But he's too, he's too, it's too controlled. That's the problem. He's trying to do something that should be very expressive and very big and over the top. Like if he, you know, with his body got more, got more into the performance to be interesting, but. Throughout his various personalities, it's all kind of just the same body language, the same general tone. It's just a slightly different accent with, you know, a few different inflections here and there. It's, again, trying to... It's like the rest of the movie. It's trying to be both uh, a very serious, a very, you know, internally consistent type thing, trying to make sense and be logical and nuanced and serious, but also trying to be quirky and funny and, you know... You know, yeah. show us that, you know, he's he's a mad person, so of course he does these quirky things, but it's not but it's not entertaining. It's a very dry, very sheltered, very, you know, sterilized type of quirkiness. It just it's being quirky for the sake of being quirky while not having that quirkiness be interesting. Yeah, but, but you made a really good point there because uh uh, this character portrayed the exact same way would actually be kind of awesome in an R-rated independent movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a more, like a slightly less silly version of the recent Shyamalan movie, I guess. 
which name, whose name I'm forgetting at the moment. Split. Yes, split. This is this is basically this would basically be a more. Uh, I guess I guess you could say a more subtle version of of split in some regard. Like yeah, I think I think this type of character could work in like a you know horror movie or even like you know in a drama. Like actually looking at people, like take a very serious look at uh, you know uh, I forget the uh, disassociative identity disorder, which I'm looking up right now on Wikipedia. Just to be sure, like I think that'd be an interesting idea in another movie. But the way that Depp was trying to do it in in this particular movie just doesn't work at all. Again, if he played it out more and made more entertaining, you know, more hammy, I, I think this would be a case where I'd be more open for more hammy performance because that's what I think. I think would that's how I think it would work in an Alice in Wonderland movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think he has some moments where he works, you know, and but he yet uh, the way they overplay him and and the way you know he's top built and everything, um, it's 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 just it's just too much. The original restraint the Mad Hatter because that character is funny and fine in that scene, and it, I think he comes later in at the end uh, in the trial or something. But but when when you would put up with this character through the whole movie, I think it would get kind of grating, you know? And so they restrain him. And and here you you have you have to put up with him uh, through the whole movie and he actually gets much more serious as the movie goes on and and the way they in the second movie they actually give him this tragic backstory with his family and everything and it's it, it's just very really not needed and also in the second movie they established that all these characters like the Cheshire Cat, Tweedledum and Tweedledee and, and, and I think the, the the White Rabbit and, and the March Hare they all hang out together when they were kids already you know because uh, Alice goes back in time in that movie and no matter where she goes they are always in a group um, or when she goes rather um, they're always in a group, you know. I, I guess they, they were buddies for life uh, from a very young age. Uh, yeah, whatever. But in that scene also, I like the look of it, you know. It's 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 like this kind of... That's one part where this kind of world shaken by war aspect of the story works because you have this kind of bleak landscape and the fog and in the middle of it you have this tea party with a house in the background that kind of looks like the March Hare and, and I thought it was a very interesting kind of uh, dark but creative image and but, but, but the other problem is we get introduced to the March Hare and to me he's the most goddamn annoying character in this movie I, who who played in Paul Whitehouse? I guess. Uh, I'm. Tr let me see. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh Paul Whitehouse. Paul White and he's, he gets more annoying with each scene, and so much that, at one point, I couldn't understand what he was saying because I I I was following him fine through the movie, and then all of a sudden, he did an accent. I don't know what it was. 
but I couldn't understand him. I had and I had to put on the subtitles to 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 understand what he was saying when Alice goes in in the kitchen uh, in the castle of the White Queen and there he is like just making a mess in the kitchen, and he screams at her. And I didn't understand what he was saying, and I'm paraphrasing here what he said, but this is how it sounded. Gay, you ain't for your soup, you wee bosom! Gay, you don't eat for your soup, you wee bosom! That was what he was saying, and, and uh, what he was saying was, you're late for your soup, you wee bosom! Like, uh, alright. He, he really, he sounded exactly like that. Really! <laughs> <laughs> so that was so odd. Yeah, but he was uh, he was he was grading in this, and and the other thing. Um, what, what do you think of Crispin Glover in this movie? Uncomfortable. <laughs> in which way? Please explain. Uh, in the way that he, in the way that he as an actor looks like how. How he looks like on the set, like he looks uncomfortable being this role, in this role. Uh, the reaction of other actors in this movie, and my own reaction, because yeah, uh, Crispin Glover as the name of name of hearts. Like I again, it's this attempt to, I guess, make a this this character that's supposed to be you know the complex you know diplomatic you know be, you know sword behind the throne type character that's supposed to be manipulative even though he really doesn't do shit all through most of this movie he just <laughs> kind of shows up and you know a- attacks people oh i just like i think his design would be is kind of Cool. I think if it was redesigned a bit more and placed in a different circumstance, it might work better. But yeah. again, it's it's definitely the trying to be weird and creative, but not not going too far, because or else people might think we actually, you know, people might actually think this movie has some you know true imagination behind instead of just taking elements from the. Uh, original source material and tweaking it just so much so it's still marketable but not really you know out there out there yeah i i mean he's kind of a throwaway character and i don't think lover really gives any anything noteworthy about it he's just kind of a like the majority of the characters in this movie he shows up there's a few things that are interesting about him but he doesn't really leap to much of an impact yeah um, yeah. I have a problem with a, I actually quite like his design but I have a problem with the way they executed it how they CGI'd his body to make his limbs larger it's longer you know and, and it's it's just so obvious that they CGI'd around it so he always looks like one of those big rubber mannequins you see in front of like uh, a car sales oh okay i'm just looking up an image uh, what, you know what? i i think i see that yeah especially the way he moves i sent you a clip where he walks towards the camera and it just just was very unnerving mm-hmm. and um also the way he hits on alice later on in the movie 
that that's why I meant by uncomfortable. Just he's just oh. I, I like you. I like largeness. And that scene, I saw that scene and I was like, you know what? I actually really want to see a movie with him and Brad Dourif in the main roles. And the movie <laughs> is called Trying to Outcreep Each Other. I would watch that movie. I would so watch that movie because they oh. are perfect for each other. Oh no, I think if Brad Dern was in this movie and he just and burned his slam go off, I think that might be the case of having a golden role in the middle of a shitty ass movie. And also they would have they had to make it an R rating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Oh Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. because it's it's kind of like the way he sometimes stands behind the throne of a queen. I was like, did they try to get Brad Dorf, but they couldn't get him? And he was doing, like, the Rob Zombie Halloween movies at the time? You know, because he, he so reminded me of Grimer Wormtongue in those scenes. It, 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 was, kind of, it was kind of interesting that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, definitely not as strong of a character as Wormtongue, but... no. No. No, no. <laughs> yeah, interesting comparison. And yeah, you can definitely see how this movie is trying to be other, uh, you know, high fantasy political war movies in a way and just failing because because it tries to incorp it tries to shoehorn the original source material into roles that really don't uh, this doesn't really work. Now, I I should mention uh, there. I think a couple years ago, I'm not too sure if you saw this, but there was there's a show called Once Upon a Time in Wonderland that kind of does this concept in uh, kind of the same way, but kind of different. I haven't seen too many episodes, but it does take the Alice Wonderland lore and try to do a more uh, serious, kind of more political a- approach to it. I haven't seen the entire thing, as I said, so I can't really give a uh, de- definitive answer if it works or not. But from the stuff I've, I've seen, it definitely does uh, incorporate the source material and, and mobilize it to make it work a bit more in, a, in that type of setting. Like, the characters, you know... Even though they're the characters from the book, they're they're not trying to be both you know weird and quirky and also dead on serious. It's very much its own thing, and that's I really think that I think is really what this film, the the Tim Burton film, really struggles and really fails at doing. I think the uh, Chris Crispin Glover element. I I like how I call it the Crispin Glover element. That's. <laughs> Because every movie needs a Crispin, Crispin Glover element to it, of course. Yeah, I, th- I think like his character and you know the the Mad Hatter are a good example of trying to uh, trying to transcribe the original source material into something that you know it's it's something that's recognizable, something that you know it's like okay, I I get that, I recognize that, and trying to put that in a in these different uh, 
roles, these more nuanced and, you know, uh, plot, plot, you know, plot dependent roles and just not working. Again, I think this could, this idea of a movie could work or this idea of a more serious Alice in Wonderland, uh, you know, production or story could work. It's just this, this one, it, this one just doesn't work. <laughs> I think I think that's what you can just say about it. it. Just doesn't work in any department it's trying to work in. It doesn't work as the you know outright outright you know uh, quirkiness that the original book had. It doesn't work as a serious political story. It definitely doesn't work as a merger between the two. It just doesn't work. Yes. The, the, I mean, I give them a bit of effort for trying for trying to be a somewhat ambitious with this, but it's still a very lazy story, so I can't really give them too much, you know, uh, credit. Yeah. But you have yeah. clearly people who are trying here. You know, I don't think any of the actors are sleepwalking through it or anything. You know, they give it their all. You know, you can see Helena Bonham Carter has fun, and I actually think her design fits the character, you know, it's supposed to be kind of off-putting, and uh, she, even though she sometimes reminds me of Lord Farquhar from Shrek, um, uh, in the way they designed her, I think actually she works. Um, the problem is that they don't tell the joke until the end, you know, they because I, I think in the original book it's like, you know, she always says like, off with his head! And then at the end of the day, she always has to uh, turn it back, you know, because because uh, if if they if they really would decapitate all of her people, she would soon be alone. And and I guess that's part of a book, if I if I'm not mistaken, you know, where she actually pardons them at the end of the day again. Uh, but I, I'm not quite sure. But I heard something about that. And then yeah, go ahead. And actually, that actually is quite funny. Uh, even though in the original Disney cartoon, you don't see them again when she says off with her heads, but but whatever. And in this one, you just have to assume, especially giving all the uh, heads uh, around the castle. Uh, yeah, I guess she, she kills them. Oh, okay, wh why not? And yeah, but, but I think that works. You clearly have ambition here. I mean, okay, that's that's not a surprise. I mean, I'm a sucker for Danny Elfman anyway, but this is actually a really good score. Um, he really, really does a good job with her music. And funny enough, in the trailer, they use his score from Hellboy 2. <laughs> Alice has returned to Wonderland. Since you've been gone, the Red Queen has taken over all of Wonderland. Yeah, which is a much better movie, of course. But um, I actually think his music is very, very good in this movie. And I also like the design of uh, Queen's soldiers because they are not the traditional playing cards, but they keep enough of them that you can recognize them as like over-exaggerated playing cards, just, you know, with, with armor on and, and, and all that stuff. I actually, I actually like that. Um, and you know it's it's not like I think sometimes the movie looks no most of the time actually the movie looks actually quite ugly um, and there you can see another big problem because I don't think Tim Burton is the guy 
who can create magical worlds out of nothing, you know, with a computer. He's a guy who needs sets to direct. He needs sets to branch out his style. And in this, where everything is CGI, it's just... I get. He, I think he's kind of lost. You know, it, it feels the the whole movie feels directionless, in the yeah. way it's staged, uh, especially later in the uh, in the battle scene. There are certain points where I noticed that, and uh, I mean the, the 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 CGI animals and the humans and every time she shrinks down, that works quite fine, but uh, every time you know we have these big sweeping camera pans which are basically just look 3D you know this is like this, this is a ride or something and there's there's also this funny enough uh, when i watched the scene where she uh, she walks on the severed heads i i i, I almost um uh, you know the, the way she jumped from head to head and 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 I had, I had to cross the um, the the I I don't know the the pool or whatever it was. It, it was kind of like uh, I I was expecting like a, a little flash on the screen which says this is in the video game. Check this out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have actually played the uh, tying game or at least a portion of the tying game for this movie. Really, there was a tying game. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, it's actually much better than the movie because I I will say. Speaking of uh, set designs, I would say the set designs in the game are much better than the movie because <laughs> it feels more because the because the uh, uh, CGI uh, characters in the game blend in much easier with the CGI backgrounds and the live action and you know CGI characters in the movie blend into the green screen backgrounds. Yeah, I think. I think that's one of the things that really annoys me throughout the movie. If it, it this movie definitely feels, for the most part, like in, in terms of its visual look, like all right, here's a couple actors, you know, a prop in the middle of a soundstage, and everything else. It just feels detached. Yeah, like, it doesn't feel like a coherent, you know, well-built world. Like if you look at something, like I don't know, like. Lord of the Rings, or you can just, you know, take your pick. Like, the choice of scenery and how the uh, actors are blended into it is is much better. Like, it feels like one one big world. This just feels like a disconnected, you know, like, it's trying to be this serious political, you know, gra- you know, grounded in a certain reality type story, but the world itself feels very superficial and flat, and again, that could work if it, if this movie was trying to be more like the original. Yes, like, exactly. If you watch, if you watch the animated film, I, I, this is a animation technique I really like about that film, like how Alice will go from one area, then when she leaves another area, she'll kind of enter into this dark void almost. Yeah. And go, yeah, like I really like that because it kind of gives a nice visual segue from one part of this world to another part, and it it feels like you – and I think that's how the book – feels like it feels like you go from one chapter you enter this void then you go to another chapter that's how wonderland should feel like just this disconnected world of these various uh episodes and experiences but when you're trying to give a grounded war story 
that type of visual style, which I don't even think was intentional on Burns' part, yeah. maybe with the exception of the uh, Cheshire Cat scene, as you said before, that I felt ha you know played with the atmosphere to a great extent. But like the uh, tea party scene, like that feels again. It just seems like there's a table, there's Johnny Depp, there's Crispin Glover, then there's a bunch of CGI crap running around, and it's just in this void of you know kind of above average you know cgi backgrounds but still not really well done uh the battle scene at the end like that just feels like such a underwhelming location like it should it this should be a very interesting and very vibrant looking you know uh location and scenery for your climax but this feels very they're very disconnected from the action that's going on yeah uh I'll say like the like the stuff in the intro when Alice first gets into Underland. Uh, most of the other like yeah like as you said the flying scenes the stuff in the forest. The only like couple sets I think actually work is is the more like con like you know physical sets as you were saying before like the uh, the wig the wig queen and the white queens you know they're two respective castles like the interiors of them actually feel like okay this feel if if i were to want to think that this is a grounded reality of a uh, you know of a movie that has some grounding in reality yeah. i think these sets you know work perfectly fine yeah. again i think if if the again that's not an approach i really I uh, care for, but if if that's the direct if that was the consistent direction they were going with, I think those sets work fine, you know. But it's you don't really get too many, you know, exaggerated over the top sets or exaggerated over the top areas. It's always in this safe in between of kind of weird and dark and quirky, but not really interesting, not really like you know distinct or you know something that really grabs you. It just it just kind of all blends into this big old mess of like grit of, you know, grays and, uh, blacks and occasion, you know, occasionally you get some reds and blues that break it up, but it just feels like a, it feels like a, the background of this movie just feels like a big wash and until you get to more, uh, distinct areas with distinct color palettes. But yeah, it, this, for a filmmaker who oftentimes really does make these very interesting and creative environments, like in the, like in Burns 2 Batman movies, or, you know, even Planet of the Apes to some extent, I can't, I can't believe I'm using it as a positive example. <laughs> to, to, to me, I, I think, I think that movie is a bit worse than this one to some extent, just in terms of, uh, I think the problems in that movie is, are a bit more, uh, damning than this one. <gasps> damn so, you! Damn you all to hell! <laughs> yes. <laughs> at least, as as shoehorned as some of the source material in this movie is, at least it wasn't that. I'm sorry. I like for Planet of the Apes. No, better, no, better don't, than this. Don't worry. I, I I like it better than this. I, I don't like it like it, but I like it better than this. No worries, man. No, 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 worries. no problem. Not wrong. I, I didn't take it the wrong way. It was just, you know, sorry, but I, I, I think Alice in Wonderland is worse overall because um, at least you know, uh, in Planet of the Apes, you have uh, kick-ass makeup, 
and uh, Tim Roth doing I don't know what, but fuck, it's entertaining. <laughs> that that's a that's a fair point. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I. Let's just stick to Alice in Wonderland. Sorry for, I'm sorry for that. Up. Yeah, no, you know what? Uh, uh, the way you described the movie and the look actually made me realize something. The way this movie looks, like always kind of dark and dirty and murky and gritty and unpleasant, it looks like Tim Burton is trying to rip off Terry Gilliam. Uh, kind of. That's that's actually a pretty damp example. Yeah. I, to be honest, I haven't I haven't seen as many Terry Gilliam films as I would want, but I would I kind of, I would kind of say that. Yeah, it, it actually it actually has, has quite the similarities to some of uh, Terry Gilliam's movies. Um, not not very not really thematically, even though you know there's also weird stuff going on like that. That, that that dwarf time travel movie. I'm not quite sure how it how it was oh, called. Oh, time bandits. Yeah, time bandits. That's it. And also this 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 one with a weird girl with a talking puppet heads. Tightland, Tightland. Yeah. Yeah, Tightland. You know that's it's it's kind of like a merge of that uh, mixed in with Doctor Panassus. And I think Doctor Panassus was after this. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it no, was. Before. Oh, really? Before? All right. Yeah, that's it's 2009. Oh, it, it makes it even. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Of course, because of Heath Ledger. Yeah, of course. You know that, that makes it even more obvious. You know the, the similarities. It's like they saw Doctor Panassus and they were like, oh, you know the, that 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 look kind of. You know we can we can do that, but just on a bigger budget and don't really make it look that much more interesting. Um, yeah, that, that's that that was something I. I noticed, and uh, the way you described, you know, the, the disconnection between the locations. Yeah, exactly. That that would work if it was like the original. You know, she goes from one place to another. But in this, where you have these politics over it, you never have the feeling of one consistent world. And you should. You know, even in Lord yeah. of the Rings, even though their location are their locations are different, you can see it is the same world, and. And, and in Star Wars also. Uh, and and there, there are different planets in that movie, in those movies. Um, and, and you always see it's the same universe. Even in, in something like in something as outrageous as like Guardians of the Galaxy, you always have a connection between everything in the way it, everything looks. And in this one, not really. And yeah. um, uh, what was it? And, and uh, the, the way they play out the battle at the end... I liked some of the implications there because the way it's on a chessboard, on a big chessboard, and also some of the soldiers look like chess uh, figures, it, it actually kind of sums up that the conflict in this movie is just two sisters being mad at each other. So it's it's like it's like you know it's 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 just you know this big ch this chess game but bigger. In the way that it's just a conflict between, it's a sibling rivalry, you know. And mm -hmm. one of them is is the is the mad little girl who wants everything, and the other one tries to be calm but is also crazy in her own way. And it, it's kind of it's kind of nice how it's this conflict that, under normal circumstances, you know, the real world would be just between two siblings, but in this they they overthrow the land with war. And mm -hmm. it's it's still represented as a chess game. I actually thought that was I don't know if that was the intention, but I thought it was kind of clever. But also, Maybe. It's, 
Yeah, but also it's weird with a Jabberwocky is just next to the chess game. I guess he sleeps there. Yeah, and then it's and then it's Christopher Lee, and he says three lines, and then he gets his tongue cut out. So it was, and it's 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 a nice callback because I think he also has a connection to the source material in a way that I, I guess he he read it uh, in in a audiobook version or something. I don't quite know. But and of course, I mean it's Christopher Lee. He's he was a Burton regular, so so I guess he he was happy to get that little part. But then, yeah, and then you have a gruesome decapitation, and you know the Mad Hatter wielding a sword, which actually, the way they designed him was quite fitting. Because, uh, yeah, I sent you one picture of him, and I was like, Mad Hatter or Pennywise the Clown, you decide. <laughs> because he actually, he, there are some shots in this movie where he looks creepier than both incarnations of Pennywise, either the Tim Curry one or the, or the, or, uh, the, the new one that's coming out, I'm actually really looking forward to. But you know, it's it's just, he looks so creepy in some in some parts, uh, especially the way they made his eyes bigger. It, it's just so unnerving, and also how he kind of yeah, there was one scene that really creeped me out. How he lusted over her in in several scenes, especially in the end, and also when he gets freed from the prison and he goes to the White Queen, and then he first sees Alice in her normal size. And then he is like, he's like, oh, it's you again, but, but now it's, it's, it's your size, and uh, it's a very good size, you know, it's a very, very well-fitting Alice size, and through the whole conversation, he's staring at her chest. He really does. And it's, and I'm like, okay, I guess it's, I think it's, impl- you know, I think it's intentional, but like, what the hell, Disney? Like, it's 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 really weird how he hits on her in several scenes, and you have almost this kind of semi-sexual lover tension between them in the goodbye scene, when he leans to her like, uh, farewell, Alice, or whatever they say in that Wonderland slang, and it's it's following the, I think one of the cringiest scenes ever put on film maybe you know what I'm talking about without me mentioning it cringiest cringiest one of the cringiest scenes ever put on film oh. it's right before they say goodbye mm-hmm. yeah it's um, uh, it's it's like Jesus Christ it's just why just why, you know? It, because, because it's quirky. Because it's fireworking. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, fucking three minutes after they, after it's frozen decapitations. Not even three minutes, like yeah. three seconds. And also, uh, uh, but, but before that, it was actually one of the funniest scenes when uh, the, the, the Red Queen gets banned and she's like to the, uh, to the, um, to, to the knave, like we still have each other, and he tries to kill her, <laughs> and then he uh, he he um, he they, he gets taken away with with her, and he's and he's to the right like kill me, please kill me. That actually made my father laugh out loud in the cinema, <laughs> because because I was like, you know what, that's actually pretty funny, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and the way she looks at him, you know, it's 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 like. 
yeah, that fits. And also, I don't know, I guess you didn't see the sequel. No, I... Because, because in the sequel, in the sequel, the Red Queen is back, and at one point, you see a throne standing there in the castle, wherever she lives now. Uh, you see a throne standing there, and the knave... And you see the skeleton of the knave stabbed with his own sword. And I was like, well, I guess that's it. Bye. You know, it, like, like he, he was killed off between movies. And it, it was it was just very weird uh, seeing a skeleton sitting there. I, I almost forgot that. Because the sequel, you know, objectively, the sequel is a much, much worse movie than this. But, it's, but it didn't infuriate me as much. Because... It wasn't Tim Burton directing it for one and two. It was like, you know, it's it's this is a contractual obligation. What can you expect? You know, because the first one had actually effort and it had promised to be a good movie. This movie could have been great, you know, it, it, it could have been really awesome. And, and they missed the big opportunity. And the second one is just, you know, there was no promise in this, even though Sasha Baron Cohen was quite amusing in the movie. Uh, d did you even know he was in that? <laughs> yeah, I, I I saw leading up to the movie that he was in that, but again, I just have no interest in that movie whatsoever. Yeah, you so. should. He actually, his performance is, uh, uh, makes the movie worthwhile, at least for a little bit, but it, yeah, it, 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 it's not worth sitting through the whole movie, because it seems like he ad-libbed some of his lines. Um, it, he, he actually he was the only entertaining actor in that movie. And, and, and yes, in this, in this one, the father awakened scene, you know, it, I actually kind of forgot about it. And when it came up, when I saw it yesterday, I like was, I, I, I was like clawing in, in the couch, you know, it, because it was just such a soul crushing moment. It's like, oh God, this is so embarrassing. It was like, even the animators didn't try with this. <laughs> they were like, oh, Jesus Christ, I have to animate this photo wagon scene. Uh, uh, click, click, click here. Whatever, shove it out there, it's fine. Just don't make me look at this anymore. <laughs> and the, actually, the, the, the very ending of the movie, I think, is one of the worst endings I've ever seen because it just makes zero sense. And it's in, in a movie called Alice in Wonderland. And when the ending of, and when I have to say about the ending of a movie like this, that it doesn't make any sense, then that's really bad. Because suddenly she has an interest in the training companies and everything and says, well, this is the plan of my father, but I think we can take it further. Right to Hong Kong and everything. And, and, the, and the, her almost father-in-law was like, oh, well... Oh, I, I've, I've heard some of these ideas, you know, maybe we should try it out. And then she sails on her ship away. You know, the way that she suddenly is the strong, independent woman is so forced and so lazy and so inappropriate for the time. You know, I'm all for girl-empowering figures and everything. Mm -hmm. But, I, I mean, the Powerpuff Girls did this with, with much more dignity and logic than anything, yeah. than anything in this, you know, this is just, this doesn't fit at all, you know. Okay, when... that, sorry, that's actually very funny, because when you think about it, 
this move, like the movie, is trying to suggest, like you know, like you shouldn't, you know, conform to the rules that society, you know, ha- has outlined for you. You know, you have to determine your own, you know, path. You have to be independent, more, you know, be you be your own person. But the essence of the of the war plot in in the movie is no, Alice, you don't have any choice. You have to conform to what the prophecy says you have to do. Like it's so, so ironic, and I do think like maybe the message of Alice, you know, you know, having like this kind of empowerment, especially, especially like female empowerment in the Victorian age, I think that could work in a movie like this, but it would have to be. I mean, a you'd actually have to set up that character uh, development, that character arc, and not just shoehorn the end of it at the end of your movie. You actually have to show the beginnings and the various conflicts uh, within that arc. Like, wouldn't wouldn't it make more sense in this? I think it would make much more sense, and you could still do like a a war type movie if you made you know the war in Underland, like, just really crazy and over-the-top. Like, maybe they're fighting over, like, a very... Like, making it this big, giant bat war over a very silly thing. Like, wouldn't it be so funny if the if the Wake Queen and the White Queen were, were literally fighting each other because they were disputing, you know, who went and lost in, like, a, you know, card game they played as, you know, children or something? Like, that would make sense in a, in a Wonderland setting. Like... You could still have all these big important speeches, but it all boils down to this very stupid, silly thing. And you kind of get that with the wig, wig queen at the beginning, when she executes one of her servants for, you know, eating a strawberry tart or something. You know, her being her being kind of this, uh, you know, parody of a person with unlimited power who sees herself as, you know, so classy and civilized and whatnot, but, you know. Mur- you know, brutally murders people for the you know smallest things like that. I think that could work because I always felt you know in the original book that this was definitely not a you know sat a direct satire of anything, but more so just poking fun at you know agree you know agreed upon attitudes of you know the Victorian age or just really any age in in general. And you know, you could definitely make a more coherent, more structured story. And heck, even certain, uh, like, war movies, like actual war movies, you know, about actual, you know, historical wars and whatnot can sometimes take a a kind of comedic or almost satiric look at the source material. That, That could be, you know, this is what that movie could have been if they wanted to make a war movie. Now, I don't think that's the direction they should have taken it, but there were, were so many – if they were to take in that direction, there were so many different and better ways to take it. And I think it would, if to make if they wanted to make give Alex and Alice an actual good character uh, development, like she could start off as you know as being quirky and being you know a rebel and being you know against you know order and you know people telling her what to do, but after being dropped into a world of just pure chaos and having to, you know, actually insert some control both on herself in order to control, you know, the world around her, I think that would be a more, you know, powerful, uh, you know, story, a more powerful story, more powerful uh, character 
arc and, act, and actually, you know, tie, tie into whatever the fuck they were trying to do at the uh, end about, you know, oh, she's, you know, she's in business now. Like, you don't necessarily have to go with the whole, you know, Alice has to accept the roles that society defines for her, but, you know, you could make a message of, like, you know, sometimes you have to, you know, it's always good to be yourself, but sometimes you have to structure your life and structure the world around you, because if everyone just was, like, you know, was crazy like the people in Wonderland, or, you know, either crazy with order or crazy with chaos, then... No, no, you know, no shit would get done. So uh, <laughs> that that's just kind of me brainstorming on how this movie could have been perhaps a bit better. Again, I'm not saying that if I were to make this movie, I could make it better. But I think that would just be a more interesting, may not be the most serious or more, more compelling, but it would just make more sense in a world that doesn't make sense, if that makes sense. Yeah, you actually made uh, very good points there. Even like hell, like uh, a movie like Sucker Punch, you can see is kind of inspired by Alice in Wonderland in in a way. Yeah, kind of. And and you actually, because sucks. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Sucker Punch sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Zack, oh, Zack Snyder. We mentioned a Zack Snyder movie because we always have to mention a Zack Snyder movie when we talk about. Oh damn it! Snyder. Damn it! I didn't think about that. Sorry. <laughs> And make the freaking Zack Snyder uh, swear jar or something. Oh, damn, you know I don't hate Zack Snyder. You know I like some of his movies. I don't even think like Sucker Punch is awful or anything. It's just like a movie I I really don't understand. I think he doesn't understand. But whatever. Yeah, you you made you made uh, very very good points there. I am I, I really agree with you. Um, before we get to our conclusion, because we're running out of time. Uh, one one more thing before we can give our our two cents or final two cents of the movie um uh, uh the, the part where she grows and she gets spotted by the red queen and she's like well what's your name girl and and, and, the, and the white rabbit uh, her name is um and and she and, and alice goes with it and says like from Umbridge, you know, she, she's just uh, she's making up the bullshit story that fits with with uh, with the things. And actually, I, I thought that was that was kind of fine. But that the way she said, like, you know, um, from Umbridge. Now I was picturing a certain character coming into the scene and saying, "You shall tell no lies, Mister Potter." Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that was that was quite kind of weird. I I, I guess I, I should have mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, but. Uh, whatever. So, in conclusion to our not quite rant, but a really deep discussion, what would be your final quick thoughts of a movie or anything else you want to mention about it? Uh, nothing really else to mention about it. Again, I, I think there are some positives to it. Uh, I get all the casting choices are particularly with the voice actors, are pretty good. Uh, I do think the makeup and the costume designs, when they're not, when they're not terrifying or lazy, are, are pretty good. Again, if, if they actually did some more world-building, world you know, this could actually be... You know, you know, I think that's a good foundation to build a, a kind of more serious, grounded Alice in Wonderland, you know, or a different interpretation of Alice in Wonderland on. You know, I think that kind of works. Uh, but, yeah, to be honest, there's just nothing really compelling about this movie. Like, it doesn't... 
it's trying to be everything, or not everything. It's trying to be several things, and in the end, it ends up being nothing. It it tries to be serious, but when the serious parts don't work, it's like, oh well, it's a, it's Wonderland. It's supposed to be quirky, but it doesn't really follow through with the quirkiness that much. You know, the I mean, what can you say? The characters are mostly bland and undeveloped. The stories bland and undeveloped. The world building is for the most part bland and undeveloped. The tone switches all over the place for no reason than because it's, you know, again, supposed to be quirky, even though it isn't. It's just, it is a failure, but it's not really something that, you know, keeps me up late at night. It's, it's not a horrible thing to watch. You could, you know, I think to the average film goer, you could probably get through pretty easily. I think I would just be bored watching it again, but I think it's bad, but I don't know. It's not overtly offensive. I don't, I just have dissect, I really just dissected it from the rest of uh, Tim Burton's uh, uh, filmography, or at least the filmography that I like. And it's, it's just, to me, it's just a, it's just a product. It's just something that, you know, Burton did, you know, perhaps he had some passion behind behind it, and from what from what interviews I've read about, he does seem to have he did seem to have a lot of you know uh, conviction between you know behind the changes he made. But again, I can I can never really make a for sure statement about how these how these move how these big budget movies are you know how the creativity is balanced between the writer and the director and the studio executives. To me, however way you look at it, it's just a you know, it's a pretty mainstream product. I understand, and even at some point, like the film, but at this point, uh, it's just, it's just, you know, too safe, too, or too dark at some points, and just <laughs> not very interesting. It's just bland. Yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts exactly. Uh, I quite liked it when it first came out, and I also saw it in 3D, I remember. And that was like the beginning of a big 3D craze that came out mm-hmm. shortly after Avatar and it was post-converted and everything. And yeah. so, so yeah, and, and then I watched, rewatched it later and I was like, you know, this is really not very good. You know, when, when I actually got into filmmaking and what it all meant and I was a big sucker for Tibert and Danny Elfman at that time and later when I actually found out like oh man this is this seems like studio controlled you know it's just he he is yeah he's doing his job you know i think he got paid well and you are right i think there's some passion going on with him but it's just it wasn't it was the wrong technique for him i guess you know it's it's, he's not the guy to create wondrous worlds just with cgi backdrops he needs something else and he needs a story that benefits it actually he needs a lack of a story to benefit it, um, yeah, there, there are some, you know, there, there are some nice performances. You know, there are some nice scenes in there. For the most part, it's just a pretty generic, bland movie of an outrageous source material that got cut down for the mainstream. But they added gruesome violence for some reason. You know, it's it's really really weird that this movie's PG. But it's also weird that the Lone Ranger was rated PG-13 and wasn't R. You know, that is actually an, the first unofficial 
R-rated Disney movie, in my opinion, The Lone Ranger. Because I've never seen a Disney film that was so gruesome like that one. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's a topic of another conversation, but... Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, actually, I, I think we talked about that a few years back, uh, when it was on my worst list. Um, and, yeah, and this one, you know, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a generic, bland movie that doesn't deserve its title. You know, it's just... Alice goes back to Underland, and it's it, it's clearly not what the title promises. And as and it is, you know, the, the characters from the book are kind of there, but you know, they don't do much. Yeah, we we, we agree on on this. You know, it's, it's it's not an awful movie. It's just generically bad. Before we say goodbye, um, it's uh, plug time. Alright, so if anyone has uh, any interest in uh, whatever I do, I do have a few quote-unquote short films on my uh, YouTube page. It's, it's just called ja uh, Jax Anderson on YouTube. And if you're so interested in my very occasional uh, thoughts and more occasional retreats of other people's thoughts on movies and uh, other events, you can follow me on at Twitter at uh, Jackson Wayne. That's capital both on the Jackson and the Wayne. Great. So, anyways, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. It was a pleasure dissecting this uh, bland mess of a alright film. <laughs> yeah, um, I also will link your um, uh, your YouTube um, in the in the video description. So, uh, so we won't get lost. Just, just send me that later. Um, All right. Yeah, it was it, it was very fun talking to you. I think I uh, I did quite fine with my first uh, English language episode. I hope I can reach more people with this. I hope I can see you on another episode. Uh, not uh, not so far in the future. Um, it has it has been a lot of fun as as always talking about you uh, uh, talking with you about movies. Um, uh, now you can say your goodbye and then I can say my goodbye alright, goodbye everyone <laughs> they can be back on the show again take care <laughs> thank you very much and also um, please visit oliverseidelmusic.com he writes fantastic music he's a great composer he composed the intro and outro music for this video please check him out uh, the link is in the video description you can find me also on twitter on facebook and on this channel, The Deppert, on YouTube. I have several English uh, language videos. Um, uh, all the links you can find here. Thank you very much for listening to us. This was Fans About Films. I say goodbye, and Jackson says goodbye, and we will see you later on the next episode. Take care. See ya. Take care.